Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's a cat over here. There's a cat over there. And the wrong one died. And the wrong one died. Welcome to the Ron Cat Die, the podcast breakdown of the cast astrophy. I'm your host, Mike Abrams, and today we have two amazing guests. They are the directors and producers of an amazing documentary called The Show Must Go On, which chronicles the 2020 South Korean production of Cats and Phantom of the Opera, which pushed ahead through safety uh, in a challenging time during the pandemic. So welcome, Dory Berenstein and Sammy Connell, and thank you for joining me. Great to be with you. Thank you. I am excited. I thought this documentary was fascinating. Um, I knew it was happening. I've talked to some people in the production, um, when, you know, already for this podcast, and it's just such a wild experience. And get to see the whole thing chronicled and the creative way you did it um, was was awesome. So I we'll just start right up front by saying anybody, I think it's on Apple TV. You can get it in a lot of places now. Go 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 watch this documentary. But before we'll talk about that a lot, but I want to hear because I always love to know first everyone's history with cats. So before this documentary. What is your experience with the show? How many times have you seen it? What's your kind of theory on it in general? Well, I'm I'm allergic to cats. So, uh, you know, I have a very um, challenging history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very allergic to cats. Um, but I, I have seen every every uh, uh, different iteration of it. And, um, and I'm a fan of the show. And I was, you know, uh, I saw it on Broadway when it, first came and um, have seen it uh, many times since and, and love it, even though I have to take, you know, a lot of um, antihistamines before I yeah. enter the theater. Cause it's, so, it's, when was your you know, first one? Was it, was it the original Broadway? Like when original was your first Broadway. Broadway? Absolutely. Broadway. Yeah. Wow. It was very exciting. Wow. Sammy, what about it. you? Um, so my dance teacher, hopefully I'm getting this right. Um, you can correct me if I'm not. Um, uh, uh, my dance teacher when I was a little kid was in the original Broadway company of Cats. So it was something that I was very aware of as like a, a legendary thing. And then I think I saw, I don't, I don't think it was a Broadway, I don't think it could have been a Broadway production as a kid, but um, I saw like a, a tour somewhere. Um, and then I saw the most most recent revival, but I wasn't really like, a cat's head until um you know 20 
2020 and then I dove deep and uh, now I'm obsessed. Okay. So you, what, who was the dance instructor? If you don't mind sharing. Joe Cavice. Okay. And so how, what age was this? Like when was, was this like early? Oh, I was like four. Um, uh, and I just, I just remember thinking he was like a legend. I mean, which he was, you know, but I was just like, th this guy was, was a cat. Um, and yeah. that was a really big deal to me. And I actually don't even know which cat I should find out which cat. Oh, we can, I mean, we can look that up pretty I mean, quickly. Yeah. So well, how old were you when you saw the first tour? Um, probably around that age, right? Like five, six, seven. Okay. Yeah, I think um, you were seven. And I think, you, you know, you were with Joe um, for a number of years. So yeah, yeah. Dory, I have problems with this. I don't think children should see this, the show. Oh, really? <laughs> The show is very dark. It's very you, dark. It's deceptively the, dark. And when you yeah. look at the plot, it is very dark. And I remember, I did not see it as a kid. I saw it as an adult. I saw it in 2016. So you can do the math on how old I was. I was mm. a, an adult. And I remember seeing it going, hmm, that's some aggressive dancing at points. And that's pretty strange. And then I really dug into this with this podcast. And now I know a lot of stuff. And it is a very, very, very dark and mysterious and sexual show. And yeah. so the more I like learn about it, the more I'm like, ah, why are there so many kids seeing this? There's like, it's teenagers is where you could start getting like, okay, they're going to understand some of the concepts. It's okay at this point, but there's so many children that go see it. And I always wonder now, like it just goes over their head. And so I, like, I, I understand. I think that's that the point. At that, that's I, the point. I think it that way about like a lot of shows. Like I went to my, my I took my nephews to see, uh, Lion King, you know, as their first like Broadway show, and um, uh, and I was sitting there being like, I don't remember Lion King having this much, you know, <laughs> stuff about like death and existentialism and you know uh, all sorts of things. So I think it's like when you see things as an adult, you think about them differently. You're yeah. also seeing it when you're taking a child. You're seeing it through a different lens. Yeah. You know, and um, I don't think I was with you when you saw the first production of Cats. Um, Who was? <laughs> I don't I like know. Pass, I don't. Pass blame. Pass blame I, to somebody I, else. I'm was... trying to remember because I don't. I don't recall being traumatized by the fact that that you were seeing it, um, and I probably would have been. I, I will say I think I'm in the minority of that camp because there are a lot of children that go see it. My mom brought my sister. Like it yeah. is filled. Like the two times I saw it on Broadway, there were a lot of children around. But I also know that like one standard truth of this show. Is, is that Demeter was sexually abused by McCavity. And it's like, that's not really a plot line for children um, that you expect. And so it is just like a very kind of bizarre thing for me to, to learn more about the plot. And again, that's like all I focus on. I know you, you wrote an entire documentary on, did this entire thing on a lot more than that. And I'm sitting here going like, well, let's talk about old Deuteronomy here. <laughs> Um, but that's kind of a, a, an angle that I've, I've always found fascinating. And, you know, you've got Victoria's dance, you've got the, the ball. Being a, a, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot, a, a lot there. I mean, Tugger's dance is extremely sexual. Um, so I, it always, it fascinates me when I learn that, that kids go and it's common. I mean, it's, it was been around for 41 years, so it makes sense. Um, I would love to kind of go to the documentary because I think that's really where I'm just, I'd love to hear how you kind of like, you know, how did you take tackle this project? How did it come up? And then what did you kind of learn as you, as you went through it? Yeah. So it, it came about because um, during uh, the pandemic, much like, you know, all fellow 
freelancers. I had everything canceled. I was sitting uh, in my apartment, uh, FaceTiming with friends, you know, trying to figure out what to do with life. And um, uh, my friend, Kristen Blodgett, who is the um, music supervisor on a lot of uh, Angela Weber shows and tours, um, uh, was talking about how she was about to get on uh, a plane to go to South Korea to mount the South Korean tour of Cats. Um, And this was June of 2020. And at that point, you know, nobody was like leaving their apartment, let alone going to South Korea, um, let alone making a musical. And I was just sort of dumbfounded about uh, how that was possible. And, you know, had heard about the success of Phantom being the only large scale English language production, you know, running in the world over there. Um, Realized, oh, there's some something about these both being Angela Weber shows. Angela Weber sort of starting to champion theater coming back on the West End. Um, and wrote to him and said, hey, you know, is somebody documenting this, you know, sort of historical resurgence um, with, with, with your shows? And, and he said, no, you know, be my guest. And um, I called my mom because she's uh, a Emmy-winning documentarian and I've never made a documentary. Um, and I said, you know, hey, do you want to um, work on this together? Um, and, uh, we dove in really, really quickly, got some incredible partners on board, um, and then, uh, started making the film. I love it. Can you tell me a little bit about like, I mean, you're, you highlighted it right there that you started this process in the middle of like peak COVID of where no one was doing everything. I mean, I was stuck in Indiana at that time. I mean, we, we weren't going anywhere. Like you were trying to avoid people at all costs and just... You know, at that point, I don't even think we were like wanting to be outside with people. It was just like you were yeah. just trying to avoid people, and you were going into this production that's about to go into theaters and like again singing and a lot of like vocal and dancing. And I mean, in the show, they're they're on top of each other half the time. So there was a lot of like, yeah. a lot of uncertainty when you like again kind of started. That, what was it like on your side of that of like the production of having to? to film and kind of take all those precautions yourself. Like what was it on at that moment of like, I love the idea that we're going to document, but you had to, I mean, you had to take hurdles that you probably hadn't even thought about um, to, to even just start this production. Yeah, perhaps it was um, naive, but I was just so desperate to get out of the house and make something that my brain really was not focused on. Like, my personal um, uh, health journey, because um, I was like, "Oh, I'll be fine." Like, um, because the part of it was that 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 uh, at the time Korea was doing better than almost yeah. any country in the world, so it was the the journey to get there was daunting in the sense that I had to, you know, go get on a plane. But once I got there and got through quarantine, I was actually way safer than than, you know, in New York. So I think, you know, and and on the day that I got to Korea, there were uh, 76 cases in the entire country. So it was like, you know, so minimal. And, and, you know, as we sort of show in the film, there there were spikes during the process. But um, at the time, it was just sort of like, oh, I'd much rather be there. Yeah, but spikes yeah. like like three hundred and fifty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right, right. You know, so, no, it got it's... up to two thousand. Very, very yeah. scary. They had That's they had cool. a they had the one the one guy that like went to church, I think, and in a club or something. There was like one yeah. like, nationally international story from that. I remember at the time, and I think it, it was covered in the documentary too. Yeah, because it yeah. went from there wasn't a lot at all to you know they did a great job really there 
in the scheme of things to be able to do that. And I think that's, I mean, again, fascinating. I, I would love to, I'd love to hear a little bit um, Dory, from you. Like when you heard the, the idea, well, like what went through your mind? Well, I think we were all the whole community and, and certainly Sammy and I talked a lot about it. Theater was decimated, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we were wiped out and um, there were so many people who were unemployed, so many people who just their lives came to a complete halt. And um, the idea of helping to fight to keep theater alive and to keep um, theater moving forward and to um, support the employment of, of um, actors and all the people behind the curtain and also um, with, with uh, the what Korea was able to do to, to make theater safe. Um, we felt it was very important to capture that, document that, and share it with the world so that other countries can, could learn from it and, um, and then bring theater back in a safe way so that the world could get back to theater because theater is so vital in every possible way, you know, just for humanity, for heaven's sake. So um, it was really a mission for us um, to do that. And um, wearing the mom hat, I, I, you know, was completely off the charts panicked. I was sending my daughter off to Korea in the middle of a global pandemic. But, um, you know, I had to deal with that. But other than, <laughs> other than that, I, I, I think we were both really driven to tell the story and to help, um, help bring theater back. Yeah. And, so, and celebrate all the, the artists that were coming from around the world you know, and taking great risks to do this. Yeah, I mean, and uh, having talked to a couple of them, it's like they almost didn't believe it was true when they got the call at first. It was like, a, you know, like, wait, this is actually happening. And then the, the excitement and a little bit of the fear, but also just like being able to kind of go back to your point, do what they love and, um, and, and be employed again when a lot of them were on tours and doing stuff and it abruptly stopped. So um, I'd love to change gears a little bit, though, because I, I think what's, what I loved about the documentary as someone who spent again, an immense amount of time thinking about the show is that I got to see and hear a few of the kind of behind the scenes stuff that like, I'm still waiting to get the cat's Bible told to me by some of these Mm. brilliant people. And you got to document some of that. And so I, I would love to hear a little bit and you know, you can talk about Phantom too, but this is uh, this, this group cares about cats. Um, But a little bit about like, what did you learn from about those shows? Like, cause these clearly weren't, I think for you, Sammy, these weren't things that you weren't like, again, the super passionate, like I know every inch of cats, and then you get to kind of go and experience this whole thing from start to finish to putting on the show. So like, what was that like? And what kind of surprised you of being able to, to kind of get that behind the scenes piece? Yeah, well, you know, um, uh, Kristen, who I mentioned before, before we went to Korea, she said to me, you know, anybody who works on cats within like a few weeks of working on it, you just become indoctrinated like you just you just are become like a member of the cult like you're like really obsessed with 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 cats and and I was like I I love cats I respect cats Kristen she was like no you don't understand like it's gonna go deeper and I was like oh oh, okay and she was completely right like you just you you get into this culture where like everything is about I mean first of all it's such an ensemble piece and so the the culture of everybody sort of working together to tell a story and everybody having their own strength and their own feature, I think is really beautiful. Um, and it sort of 
works on stage and off stage. Um, but also like, it's nuts. Like it knows that it's nuts and, and like in the most beautiful way. And I think that that's part of like the spirit of, of making it and the spirit of, of, of creating it. So um, I, I mean that in the most complimentary sense of the word, like I am, I am, the biggest Angela Weber fangirl, you know, on the on the planet, um, I, I, and my my cat's fandom is now is sort of newer than my other ALW fandoms, but um, yeah, I love it. I love it. I mean, I do. I do think like one thing that I've always thought about the show is the reason that so many people do like it is because there's probably some character you relate to, and it's because this world was built and there's such a group and there's so many of them to the point where i mean there's what 30 ish cats that end up kind of in this production and you're going to probably find a piece of one or two of them that are you um which is somebody's party trick who was in the 2016 revival is that they go around and tell people which cat they are um <laughs> but I, i'm again i'm kind of curious too to hear about like as you got to experience that and watch that as almost a spectator what was what was that like did you did you kind of sit there and go, wow, I didn't realize the depths of that story? Or is that something as someone who's in theater? I mean, as a non-theater person, that's my kind of fascination with the show. Is I did not realize the depths of that story. I thought I was like, someone's going to sing memory to me and I don't know what else I'm going to watch. But you know how productions are put together and what it takes to build a show and all the intricacies of it. So like how much of that was a surprise to you or was something that was new to you? And what was that like, again, being in that moment there with them experience like? I think that I um, gained uh, such a deep understanding of, uh, uh, or a deeper understanding of the story day by day. And, and like you said, that sort of appreciation um, grew over time because I think you can meet it on the level of coming to it and saying, oh, wow, the dance is beautiful and um, uh, the costumes are really cool and um, I love memory. But, but you can also sort of meet it on a, on a sort of deeper dramaturgical, um, you know, poetic level because it, it comes from poetry, you know, after all. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that for me, it was a little bit of like, what's the right word? Uh, like living vicariously through the folks who became my friends in the company. Because when you watch people rehearse this dance day in and day out, it is like so intoxicating that I, I just wanted to do it. Like I was just like, I'm not a dancer. Like I have no skills that, I, but I would just sit in the corner of the room with my camera being like, I just, I just want to start dancing. Like you, you can't like help yourself because it's so athletic. It's so like exciting. And um and then once they get in costume, you're like, I want to be a cat. And then um, I was very lucky. My friend, Caitlin, who was one of the swings, she agreed to uh, paint my face. Um, and so I, uh, I, have, I became Bombi uh, for uh, an evening. And uh, the lovely wig folks in Seoul, they um, put a wig on me. And it was like the most exciting night of my life. But, you know, so you, yeah, so you got to, did you just go like to the crowd and watch that day or were you still packed? No, I wasn't allowed to do anything because um, they have really strict rules, which I understand about um, how like the makeup can be seen. Um, you probably know this better than I do. I like how the makeup can be seen in photos, like it, it because it has to be um, approved to make sure that it is what the traditional look is supposed to be. Um, and so, uh, 
I was told I couldn't even post the photos of, of myself as Bombi. I've later, I've now been told I can post them, but I was just like, it would be a little bit weird to be like, oh, by the way, no, here I am as a still, cat two time. years ago. There's time. Okay. Halloween, Purim. Oh, hey, there's plenty of times you can do it. When, when this episode comes out, I'll, I'll, um, yeah, I'll, you I'll can post put, that we can share, share it with it's, it's a really It's a really great job. Caitlin killed it. I love that you've been so. sitting on this photo for two yeah. years now. I and it's ready to come to life. <laughs> here which is which is great um i i would love to hear a little bit about again kind of a little bit of fascination was was pairing the two shows um and how you weave that back and forth because that was such an interesting piece and i will still admit that i have not seen phantom which i think surprises a lot of people i've never seen it anywhere anywhere in the world any production it's just one of those things that yeah i know right and it's i i should because i'm in new york and it's still here and easy to go see um but that was kind of interesting for me because i just d- didn't know like i know the basics of the story but i didn't know nearly as much as i was expecting so watching and i know way too much about cats so watching the two kind of together was really fun um for me to see but how was weaving that story together well there are probably two answers to that question it's it's the you know two two different stories um, just given what was going on in the, in the world and with COVID and the two different experiences that the companies were having during COVID, there's, there's that side of things. And then there's also, you know, two completely different shows with <laughs> that require different kinds of performers and performances and the stories behind them. But I, but I think uh, uh, because they were at... Um, with cats, they were putting the show together, you know, and Phantom was already up and running. Mm-hmm. So um, it was uh, uh, an opportunity to, to kind of capture two different, you know, where, where two different shows were in this process uh, at that time and what, what the companies were consequently going through. And also they were in different locations um, and in uh, going to the city that had the most terrific outbreak in all of Korea and kind of be the event that re- rebirthed that city after COVID, that was a big deal. And so obviously that was an exciting opportunity to be with them and to, and to see what it meant to the citizens of the town to you know, be out and about again and to be together in a community setting and experiencing theater. So it gave us, it gave us more storytelling um, and, uh, and, and two different worlds also, you know, behind the curtain that were fascinating to capture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was cool to watch just again, having for me, like as a spectator, I'm sure there's people that are much more well-versed in the entire Andrew Lloyd Webber world. Um, But to get to see two, again, vastly different things weave in and out, but with this kind of same storytelling, which was beautifully done. So it was kind of very cool. And, you know, again, as someone who was watching one side of it a lot more, being like, what else, what else are you going to teach me that I don't know about cats at this point? Cause you're getting all this behind the scenes. Like, like you're literally filming what I've been dying to see for three plus years, uh, probably more than that now, like five or six years where I'm like, I want to just see the, the explanation of the story for those couple days. You were there in that moment. Well, but come it, over sometime because we have 90 hours of footage. So, oh um, there's, there's a lot of behind the scenes uh, that didn't, didn't make it in, you know, because we were so focused on the, the COVID narrative. But 
um, I'm going to yeah. take you up on that. If you have the recording of the what's called the Cat's Bible, then I would love to watch it. What does that mean? Like the the. So the explanation I was given by a couple of different people, and again, it's different every cast to cast. So it's like every version gets told the story, but there's generally oh, the, that thing. Here's the story. Like here's yes. the background. Here's this, and then there's a each character their three words and kind of what their backstory yeah. is. And then there's a lot of missing pieces. And that's what my podcast has kind of dove into more than anything is looking at like, is Victoria Grisabella's daughter or not? Which is like not answered. It, there's not a definitive answer, but you could say maybe, you could say maybe not. And it just depends on how the cast plays it. But there right. is a version that's given by a couple different people, depending on the production that will say, you sit in a circle. Uh, it's always been explained to me. It feels like camp. It's like you sit in a circle and everyone gets told the story. And then it's like, you, here's Tugger. You, here's Skimbleshanks. And it's like each yeah. person and their three words and their whole thing. And so I've been I've been dying to know because I have all the, the theories in between. And I'm like, somebody can answer these questions to us. And there's like an entire website of fandom for Wikipedia page for cats that digs into all of those things. Um, some are answered, some are not. But there's a group of people that could definitively answer some of this or say there isn't an answer to that. Hmm. Well, I mean, Chrissy Cartwright would definitely. Chrissy's definitely the, the main one yeah. who's done this most. Um, there's a couple other, you know, just on the tours and other productions where someone has come in and kind of filled in the blanks. And then you get the like uh, regional dinner theaters and stuff where they get a abbreviated version. But there right, is right. a version for most of this. Amazing. I, 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 yes, they did do that. I didn't know that's what it was called, but yeah. That, okay. That, that so you've got, a, you've got footage. I don't know that we filmed the whole thing though, Ooh. because we weren't, I can, I'll, I'll, I can check. I, can check. I would love to know. I, I mean, it doesn't, it wasn't going to fit your narrative the whole way through. So I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't, if yeah. you didn't film the whole thing. We were like, and on uh, page 72. <laughs> I know. Right? It's, supposed to be yeah. couple, it's supposed to be like a couple of days. So that's why yeah. I'm like, yeah, it could be It's probably a lot, but. Yeah, no, Andrew Lloyd Webber doesn't respond to me, um, and I haven't been able to get in touch with Chrissy either. So, one day, um, this is this is what we're going to talk well, about after we stop recording. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm here for it. I have uh, a lot of a lot of contacts on that cat story, so let me know. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back for more of the wrong cat died. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> I want to change gears. I want to talk a little bit about um, the 2019 movie. Because you're like, that is what, like, there was a little bit of a peak 
of like cats was everywhere pre-pandemic in Christmas right. of 2019. Right. And then all of a sudden now you're kind of doing this documentary after and there's still kind of some legs there. Did you see the 2019 movie? And oh, yeah. what was your experience with it? I mean, I think like everybody, we were just like, you know, I, 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 I don't feel bad saying it because I feel like most people involved would say it. Uh, that you know it was crazy uh, yeah. but but I like enjoyed the experience of going to see it nonetheless yeah Andrew Levers has has distanced himself from it sh- closely so it's it's there's a lot of group that does not want to talk about it anymore so it is kind of a fascinating thing to see because it's like I didn't think it was I didn't think it was great but I didn't think it was that bad I thought it was a lot of interesting decisions but more on the editing side than the actual movie side but it was a polarizing experience seeing it. And I did see it with, with Alan, uh, our wonderful Alan Seals. Um, so we saw it together in a very <laughs> unique viewing and it was an experience. So I, it's just one of those things that it kind of sparked a lot with this show and then it continued. And then you kind of like, you know, it abruptly stops. It was on tour in the US and then your, the, the South Korean tour kind of picked back up and it was one, again, one of the only things running at the time. So it did have this kind of like natural progression. And then it went back on tour, uh, you know, as when the U.S. tour started picking back up. Well, I think a lot of what we, uh, you know, the relationship between the, sh- the, the film and our doc was actually something that we thought about in the sense that, like, there was a lot of hype, whatever you want to make of it, right before the pandemic, as you said, about about the property. And for us, the, the stage uh show was something that we wanted to like remind everybody of uh, remind everybody of its smashing success all around the world for decades um and celebrate that in this moment where it was one of the two shows that was sort of leading the way in this in this specific you know comeback so um that that was part of our our thinking you know as we we doing it doing it a service to bring it back to to its its actual glory yeah well i you know it's it was a giant missed opportunity as far as i was concerned i i i was it wasn't really the cats that i had loved beforehand (laughs) and so i i think it was uh it was really we felt good about bringing everyone back to focusing on the show yeah it was a little bit of a different story i mean they told yeah. through victoria's eyes and they rearranged some stuff and added some stuff and so um it is it was nice to see the true stage production version like the one that you know i guess that especially now or or more of the people that have seen it more recently it's it's got to see that version like it was still the revival's version right i mean it was it was that that production um which which again was the one i was used to but I will say, I thought Robbie Fairchild slayed that movie. Like, I thought his <laughs> performance was extraordinary. There so, were, t- totally. Know. There were definitely I agree some, with you. some people that were that were amazing. There were some people that I, like, I still to this day think there were some dancers in there that did incredible dancing that you just didn't get to see because of the way it was cut. And it bothered me because I'm like, this is like, these are some of the most talented dancers in the world that oh, they yeah. had in this movie. And it's like you get to see them, and then all of a sudden they're like in the top right corner of your screen, and then the bottom left corner of your screen, and they're over here. And I like couldn't follow what they were doing. Versus, you know, there is some beauty into a pro shot of a stage production where it is a lot more of 
you know, focus your attention on the stage. Um, and that's, that's something that, that was the biggest miss for me in that movie or one of the bigger misses for me. Um, I do want to Sammy, I want to hear from you a little bit because, you know, you got to experience this. You got to be bomb ballerina. You got to dive in. Like what was the part of the show? Like, what is your favorite part of the show? What, like what related to you as you got to really ingrain yourself into cats a lot more? Um, I loved the Jellicle ball because, um, the athleticism of it, the like marathon of it is just incredible to watch. And they let me watch the show from backstage quite a lot. And um, to see the dancers like run on and off in the different parts of it. And then at the very end of it, everybody just comes and like collapses on the floor um, and, and is just like panting for five minutes. It's, it's, it's quite amazing to watch people like do something that's like truly an athletic feat every night. Um, so that, that would be my favorite. Yeah. I was, I think you, you don't fully, it's like truly appreciate it when you watch it from the crowd, I think, cause there's so much going on. And then now that I've talked to so many cast members, it's like, it's 13 minutes it's 13 of minutes. nonstop dancing. Yeah. And it is, I mean, some of the people, some of them are tumbling and they're doing lifts and they're doing all this stuff. And it's like, it's one of the most injured shows, I think. Um, you would know this more than me, but it seems like it's one of the shows that has the most injuries because of the, like how physical it is to do those dances every night or eight times a week, you know, is a wild one. So I, I do think it's fun. I think that's such an interesting piece to it. It also is a piece that's kind of strange though, because it's an orgy at yeah. its core. And so it's sure. like, it is another one where it's like, oh, <laughs> now that you learn about that, it's like, oh, all right. Yeah. Oh, Very interesting. Liver. Okay. Yeah. Not what I was expecting for a cat show. But um, yeah, I think that that's it. Uh, that's that's always one that kind of gets there. I think that, and then there's just a couple other like solo pieces that usually get the, you know, the the spot like the, some of the tap dancing and some of their stuff. Mm -hmm. And and Victoria's solo and and, um, you know, it was also very interesting for me because on on perhaps you've heard this from other cast members on this tour, but. Um, see, I just said other cast members as if I am a cast member. Yeah. I'm like so <laughs> indoctrinated. Um, uh, but uh, on that tour, our uh, Victoria and our Tugger um, started dating pretty early on um, in in this process. And they're like, it's like two and a half years later or something like that, two years later. Um, they're still together. She just moved to London. They're like living together in London. Um, uh, and then I was like remarking on that to Kristen and she was like, oh no, it's always the Victoria and the Tugger. And I said, okay. Oh, but, but also I, the GMs um, from the show met on Cats. That's true. Yeah. Who did? Gareth and, Gareth and Paul, who were mm -hmm. the, the GMs, they met when they were doing Cats like uh, 10, 15 years ago. Um, Gareth was... I don't, I don't remember. remember. Rumtum Tiger, I think. No, no, no. Um, Paul was Paul was, was Rumtum Tiger. Tiger. Uh, that's right. Um, oh, Gareth. Wow. Gareth. Oh no, Gareth was um, uh, uh, uh Mungo Jerry. Um, and we, we have some great photos of him as, as Mungo Jerry. Uh, so what's so what's so interesting about that is yes, there's a lot of like the the show kind of would bring that together, like the Victorian Tugger, and there's you know some other ones, but a lot of the rumor mills when you like really dig into them and have, have, have answered a lot of them with cast members are because of like off stage relationships, not necessarily just dating, but friendships and other stuff where they have great chemistry, but their cats probably shouldn't. 
or like they're not supposed to. <laughs> and so a lot of these rumor mills start because, and you know, one of them that early on we were able to solve is there was a big rumor between Tyler Haynes and Jeremy Davis, I think. And, and it's like, it was Skimble and Tugger and they're not necessarily supposed to be these like great friends. They're supposed to like Tugger's supposed to bother, bother Skimble and all this stuff. And it was early on that they kind of had this thing that they played off of each other and the crowds, especially the super fans, like the, you know, the, the junkyard. And there's like these fans that go and watch like one cat at a time started to notice these th things. And it's like, yeah, these two guys are messing with you. And it's like a lot of these rumors come from that and you find out it's like, oh, it's just because they were roommates or they were like really good friends in another show oh, that's so and their funny. cats aren't supposed to be. So I love hearing that there is like that, that you had that, that experience. And it was one that's probably Victoria and Tugger probably don't interact all that much on stage. I don't think nearly as much there's a, um, but it's, I, it does feel like a common one that you would see, but what's fun is when it's an uncommon one and you start seeing those relationships because they, ha they definitely happen. That's so interesting. Um, I wouldn't have thought of that. And yeah, I mean, it's it's also, it was really fascinating being with the Cats company, going back and forth from the Cats company and the Phantom Company, because the Phantom Company is like the, the median age is like, you know, 15 years older than, than the Cats yeah. company. So um, uh, it just is like a totally different, you know, vibe and world. Yeah, the Cats, cats definitely felt like camp. Like the whole thing yeah. felt like camp. It was felt like, like they were stuck together. Yeah. yeah, they were enjoying their lives together. I mean, I love the. I think there's some very scenes of like they're yelling out the windows to each other, and they were yeah. in isolation, and it was like it, they had a blast. It's, I mean, yeah. all things considering, it, it seemed like they really enjoyed themselves, and that's what seems. I mean, the the amount of cast members I've interviewed, it's so fun to hear like they almost kind of like they, they they still are all in touch. Like so many of them are still friends and hang out and do all this stuff. So it's like it is. It's such, I think, a show that you're you're almost forced to be really close with your castmates just because of the nature of the show. You're like literally climbing on top of each other yeah. in unitards. And so it's like they become like it's just they become like lifelong friends. And I, it's cool to hear that you got to experience that even not in the cast, but just being in the aura of it. You kind of almost got brought right into it and got to, you know, get like you said, I think you said indoctrinated into it. It was you were you're part of the family. They, they were they were very generous to me, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Let's do a little rapid fire about the show, and then oh we'll boy. get into the million-dollar question. So you both have to answer. I would love to hear a couple of things. So one is, is uh, if you were in the show, who would you want to play? <laughs> Does that, do we have to answer that? Uh, understanding our, our athletic no. limitations. No, because no. I can't <laughs> sing or dance or any of these, and I like to think about this all the time. So you can suspend any belief of if it's in your vocal range or anything. It doesn't, you know, there's can be male, female, just which track, if you could go on and do one day and you were blessed with the skills to do it, which one would you want to do? I, I, I would go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I just say Demeter because I like I like the costume. You already got to be bomb, so might as well be your sister. Exactly. Yeah. I would uh, really go for it, and I'm going to go for something that is not in any way true to my own personal character, just because I think it would be a hoot. I'd go for Rum Tum Tiger. I Rum so Tum it's, Tiger. It's, Excuse me. It, it's so interesting that you say that because it's it's fun to hear from the cast members because I ask this question almost everybody, 
And it's like, some of them like to do exactly that. It's like, who is not my personality? And yeah. I get to go out and like truly act, like be in a moment that's not my aura. And others are like, no, this is me. I want to go own it. Here's who I am. Like, let me be me and go do the best version of it. So it is interesting to see like how people choose that question. Well, it's, it's the rock star cat, you know, and, um, and a great song and uh, just, I, I think it would be a blast to do if I had the talent to do it. Yeah, it's probably the only one, too, where you get a little bit of liberty. Like, you get a little bit of freedom to ad-lib a little, not ad-lib, like, lyrics, but you can kind of go a little off script on your dance. So it's it's probably one of the only ones that you can kind of do that. Yeah. Um, who are your favorite and least favorite characters? Uh-huh. Uh, favorite? Um, I like Monk a lot. Uh, I just like how he controls things. You're a storyteller. Uh, you got you got the other yeah, storyteller. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm really not a Gus fan. Not a Gus fan. Oh, this I know. is not gonna lend well for the last question. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just also in our in in the again, here it is with the R. Um, in the tour that I was observing, um, uh, they kept the, what is the number? Um, was it Bill the, No, it's the... Uh, uh, the Growl Tiger? Yep, Growl Tiger. And, and that makes him a bit unlikable. It's a, definitely a, more of a showman when you do that. Because yeah. do, do they do the opera piece kind of with that? Whole well, it's also like a bit offensive. Um, yeah. like, I mean, he, like he, he's a bit, um, uh, is, I mean, not a bit, it's very offensive. Like, uh, like his character yeah. is, 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 is behind the times. Um, and, and I think that was the, the writer's point was that he, he's behind the time, but you know, I'm a little bit like, dude, catch up. Yeah. There's a couple, I mean, it's going to be going for 40 years. So there's a couple that have been renamed and there's been a few cats canceled. So, uh, that is one there was there's a couple a couple other that we don't need to get into that have been correctly updated for modern mm. modern times um Dory, what, about, what about you uh i well i can tell you i'm not a mccavity fan i just the, get very the villain i not i get very emotional you know like very upset about mccavity um what and favorite? my favorite that's really difficult um, you know, it just would be fun to be Bustopher Jones. <laughs> just eat <laughs> whatever you wanted all the time. Just hangs out. Just I wanted to The yeah. only challenge with that is that, that, well, this isn't the who would you want to play because Bustopher Jones also is usually Gus. So it's like you can't ah, just be right. Bustopher Jones. Um, but favorite cat, yeah, I mean. Again, he also has a backstory because his whole thing is he just eats a lot and goes to gentlemen's clubs. It's oh, whole, it's basically okay, his whole take, story. Take that back then. But I will say I do I do think that the term <laughs> gentlemen's clubs is could be used in very different ways. So it could just be like going to have a cigar and a drink. Yeah, I think but that's what he means. Right? I I don't know. I used to think that that was originally the intent. I was like, oh, it's all so wholesome. He just you know goes to hang out with his buddies. And then it's like, no, oh, then you learn about all the other stuff. And I'm like, eh, maybe not. Maybe this is a lot more R rated and X rated than I, than I thought here, but it's more fun. If you, to me, it's funnier. If you think about Buster Jones in the other sense. 
just given his his personality of like the way he lives. I also think he funds McCavity's crime. That's my oh, other, my other wow. theory. Yeah. I okay. Well, I was just going for something really simple and just like Steve. I, I like him. Yeah. No, he's 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 great. Um, what is your favorite song in the show? Ah, I, I like listen to the Jellicle Ball when I'm like on the treadmill. It's like the most yeah. invigorating thing ever. I think yeah. it's just like a masterpiece. I love it's that nice. too. I really do. It is. I, again, it's it's great. I, I do think like that my answer to this has changed so many mm-hmm. times, which I think is what's cool about it. Because it's like there's moments where I'm like, this is my favorite one. And I'm like, no, it's McCavity right now. Um, but the ball is, yeah, classic. Um, okay, my last one before we get to the million dollar question. Which cat do you think would be the best director of a documentary? Who do you think would put together the best director of a show? That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, maybe Skimpleshanks. Oh, that's a good answer. Uh, because, you know, very organized and keeps everything on schedule, right? That's an excellent theory. Uh, yeah. yeah. I had a different one. I would say, I would, I would say... Mungo, Jerry, and Rumpelteaser are together because they're Ooh. very sneaky and crafty and you have to be very resourceful when you're making things like this because you have to think creatively. I like this. I, so I think we've, we've answered different parts of this process because mine's mm-hmm. going to be Monkus Trap, which is a storyteller. Right. So I think that maybe we need all, all four, I all guess. Three, yeah, we yeah. need... We need the, the twins to kind of like, or not the twins, they're brother or sister, but there's actual twins in the show. But you need Mungo, Jerry, and Ripple Teaser to like film and capture the moment and get everything yeah, behind yeah, the yeah. scenes. You need Skimbleshanks to keep you on time and on production and, and on budget and everything else that's going to go involved with it. It's going to be very organized. And then you need someone to put, tell the story and narrate, and that's going to be Mungo's Trap. So I think we got we got them all. <laughs> you just it's a keep, team. It's yeah. a, it's, and then you're, a team. Then Mustafa's is doing your special effects, but that's for oh, yeah, yeah. movie, right. not, not for documentary. That's cool. really good. That's good. I like that. Okay. Um, final question is: This whole podcast centers around the the theory that I don't think Grizabella is the right Jellicle choice. So mm. I'd love to hear: Are you going to defend Grizabella, uh, and why? And if not, who are you sending and why? Okay, I'm taking okay. away. I'm ready. I prepped. Because I was like, I want to have an answer that's maybe original. Like, I'm, I'm perhaps this answer has come in before, but I was like, I just don't want to like have a have a an answer that everybody says. So my answer is actually Baby Grizz, which some people don't know who Baby Grizz is, but it was one of the things I learned in my time on Cats, which is that most actors playing. Grizabella, if they're not like super, super celebs, they will dance in the opening number and um, they are, they wear a costume that is like referred to as baby Grizz, but there aren't really set rules about who that cat is, uh, whether it's like a younger version of Grizabella or like a, like an entirely different cat. So my theory is that like that, version of of the cat is everything that the jellicle choice should should be uh and she should have uh she should have gone up to the heavy side 
Okay, so I got some I got some follow up questions. I love sure, it's sure, a very sure. original yeah. answer. I love okay, it. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's also it's, I, it's, I don't think it's the best answer. I just wanted it to be original. <laughs> well, the most, the most common is Gus, and if it's not your favorite character, then sure. that helps. That helps yeah. making that argument for for him. Um, I, so I'd love to hear your thought on what is the criteria to go to the heavy side layer? Because you said that like oh. that they that baby girls kind of embodies that, but what is that answer for you or gets for old dude? Um. Uh, well, the only way we know really is by his choice of, of Grizz in the musical, right? So I guess by that standard, it would be someone who is worthy of redemption uh, and is worthy of a second chance. And baby Grizz disappears. So we never know what her potential is. So therefore, mm. we should give her that second chance. I like it. I, I do like it. It's not Grizz, so it's anything anything that's not regular Grizzabella yeah. is is a positive in my book. I do think that there's a lot of people don't know about baby, baby Grizz. To your point, it's um, I I don't think I actually saw a baby Grizz in the two productions I've seen, um, but I do know about it. It's also if I'm ever writing, I've tried to write cats too many times, but I think that there could be a a ghost of Catsmith's past type of story, and it centers mm. around baby Grizz coming back. Mm. That's down good. to see what she's caused by her oh. choice uh for anybody that wants to write that that story uh i don't know enough about theater or writing a musical or anything like that to actually to do this um but i it's interesting because like the one thing that is challenging with any of the younger cats which is what baby grace falls into is is that like have they lived enough life to be the choice and that's mm -hmm. one of the things that like a lot of people always skew towards the older cats is for that reason that makes but, sense but I'm here for any way that's not Grisabella. So, I do you have? I'm, I have. Have you come to a conclusion having spent a lot of time thinking about this? I have. I have a couple different thoughts on it. I have what started this podcast, which was the humorous thought, which was it's a, a bizarre X factor because I did see Leona Lewis the first time, and so I saw who's going to be that choice, which to me is they. You know, they put together a lot of groups in that show and they don't actually win, but they're the ones that become the most famous, like One Direction and Fifth Harmony. So I wanted Tugger and Mistopheles together. That would that was what started this whole thing. That was my answer. I think if you argue old Deuteronomy's case of like, if I'm making a choice next year or multiple years, because same way to your point, we get one year and one view is who's most worthy or deserving or most need. And I think that that choice is usually Gus. Um, I think there's an argument you can make that it could be old Deuteronomy's time, but is he mm. eligible? You never mm. know. Like, is, is he killing himself? So I don't think there's an answer. I do think that that's some of the beauty of it. I've heard some other really great examples. Most of them, again, skew to the older cats. Um, but I think the biggest thing you have to, to decide first is what is the criteria? And this is things that I don't think most people think about because when you stage the show or if you're Chrissy, you're thinking about just the one night that has an answer for you. So no one's thinking about next year or two years ago or what was last year. You know, like I had a cast member recently who thinks that Victoria was last year's and that's why they're being oh. coming back. Uh -huh. And so if that's the case, then what was old Victoria's criteria to go last year? So that's the part that I think is unanswered. I think what becomes really interesting if you think about this from like a, like if you suspend the storytelling of this being a musical and go into like this is a world and almost a cult that was set up, 
how do they decide their their sacrifice every year as a cult leader? Um, and that becomes hard. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with it. This was a joke that started purely because I made a joke when the trailer came out, and now I've spent 80-plus episodes trying to actually think <laughs> through this in a more thoughtful manner. Because um, my original answer was Tugger Mephistopheles. But... Dory, you're not getting off the hook, though. I want to hear your... Oh, I have a, I have a point of view. I am going to argue that Grizabella was the right cat to die. And, you know, she has been just maligned because of her looks, because she's haggard and she's older and they, she's just written off, you know? And, uh, and I think that it's really important for her to be the chosen one for people to look at her through a different lens and to not to realize that they've shunned somebody because of their appearance. And I think it makes a, it's a very powerful statement for the world we're living in and people who are who are, you know, disenfranchised and, and pushed aside because of the way they look. And so I think that that was an excellent choice. And I applaud old Deuteronomy. I am not going to argue against you today because Solid. I don't. I don't disagree with that piece of it of like, I do think that there's more to it though, uh, which is where my arguments stem from. Is that not that she's being the redemption story that's clearly there and that she's being reaccepted into the family. I firmly believe she's next year's choice. That's, I think my biggest take with Grizabella is I want her to have her time with her family, give her her acceptance back, give her a year, send her next year. So that's where I'm. That's where I'm really at with this show, but I don't get to stage it. And I also think for 41 years, this has been a wildly successful selling show. So uh, I don't think it needs to be rewritten. But it's not going to stop me from arguing with everybody about why it should be rewritten. Um, all right. The most important question: How can people stay in touch with you? How can they see the documentary? Like, let's plug away here. The film is on Apple TV. They can see it there. Uh, and we uh, both have, uh, it's also on Broadway On Demand. They can see it there. It's also on, is it dramaticforces.com? Dramaticforces.com, yes. Which tells you how to stay in touch with Dory. And then uh, I have a website, uh, sammycandle.com, and it has my contact info on there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being amazing guests. And I'm excited that this will, if nothing else, spark the world to see your bomb ballerina. Um, <laughs> and hopefully people will get to enjoy your amazing film, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Well, you know, thank I'm, you. Been looking for an excuse to get to share the photo, so I'm really thrilled and grateful. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so but much. I'm really grateful to be here. <laughs> thank you for this fabulous podcast because it's it's so good and it's so much fun and it gives us a lot to think about. I uh, that's what I'm here for. The hard hitting facts, you know, all the probably podcast networks, very thoughtful and cerebral shows, and here I am arguing with people about Grizabella. So that's what so I'm bringing to the table. I love it. I love it. It's essential essential listening well thank you both for being here and thanks everyone else for listening to this episode of the wrong cat died the podcast breakdown of the cast catastrophe to follow along you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or anywhere else you listen to podcasts follow uh, follow us on twitter and instagram and now tiktok at the wrong cat died or check out our website the wrong cat
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.